Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. Today we have a special interview episode with the team from the makers of Halide, popular app for the iPhone and now iPad. You're going to hear talk about their app, the App Store, and whatever else we get to. But we have all three members, which is very exciting. First of all, Sebastian DeWith has joined us. Thanks for joining us, Sebastian. Good to be here. And from your Twitter bio, I gathered you're a designer, photographer, and motorcycle person. I don't know the exact term for motorcycler. <laughs> Motorcycle extraordinaire, whatever that is. Whatever yeah. works. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with any. <laughs> Very good. And I also saw that you used to work for Apple. Is that correct on some of the design of MobileMe and iCloud? Yes, correct. Ah, very cool. So that's Sebastian DeWitt, and we also have Ben Sandowski. He used to be the lead uh, Twitter iOS developer. He helped really launch the app for the iPhone, the Twitter app there. How's it going, Ben? Good, good. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I am correct. You used to work for Twitter, and I was reading in, on your website that when you joined Twitter, you could fit the entire team around one large lunch table. And then shortly after you left the company, it was over 3,500 employees. Does that sound about right? It sounds about right. I think it was like 1,000 engineers. And uh, I was a second iOS developer, so uh, we, we uh, acquired Tweety. And so, <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't build it myself, but to help scale out the team over the time while I was there. So, yeah. Awesome. And finally, we have Rebecca Slatkin. I would say you're an iOS developer extraordinaire. I saw you know, many places you've worked, including an adjunct professor at Syracuse University. So thanks for being here, Rebecca. Of course. Thanks for having me. So my first question is, you guys have a company together. And obviously, you're all in the same world, iOS developers and all that kind of stuff. But how did you actually find each other and decide to start a company together? See, well... Originally, uh, after Twitter, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to work on next. So I did a bunch of different things uh, and I kept returning to, well, I want to do computer graphics and I'm getting really into photography. And so uh, I thought about building like a side app to learn computer graphics uh, and scratch this itch. It would be like a manual photography app. And so I started building it and it was an incredibly ugly but functional app uh, and like okay cool so now i just have to spend 20 or 30 years learning to be a designer or i could find someone else uh, via of all places twitter uh and who uh was also really into photography and so we were mutual follows and so i slid into the dms um, <laughs> nice. and he was up living in san francisco at the time uh and uh, so was i and so there was a coffee shop halfway in between and, you know, that first nervous coffee meeting. And then, um, yeah, and you're like, okay, cool. It sounds like a great uh, idea. And the uh, next thing you know, we were shipping Halide 1.0. That's awesome. Yeah. And Rebecca, how did you find this team and become a part of it? I hunted them down. <laughs> uh, I would say Ben and I became mutual friends um, through Twitter. I loved his blog. And as an iOS developer, it was nice to find someone with... Um, higher level engineering principles that I agreed with. So looking beyond the scope of like the basic implementation of iOS development, uh, Ben seemed to really have a good understanding of um, higher level architecture. And um, we became friends through Twitter. I think, you know, witty tweets back and forth, mostly from Ben. <laughs> we met up um, like most people at uh, WWDC drunkenly and uh, became fast friends. We have a hometown connection uh, I think we our first discussion was over uh, LARPing at oh, yeah. WPI. <laughs> uh, so the, uh, what is that? It's the... Live action live, role playing. Yeah, the live action role playing uh, that happens at his college uh, that I was familiar with from watching. And <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we, we used to... Meet, I worked for a company based out here in San Francisco. Uh, so I'd come out here a lot and I would 
you know, I'd meet up with Ben and his wife and then Sebastian and, um, I don't know, eventually, right? I, yeah. They were like, come work for us. And yeah. Like, At the beginning of a pandemic. Yeah, at the beginning you. of a pandemic. <laughs> right, right. It's amazing. A lot actually happened in that year in addition to the pandemic, you know, so pretty wild. So you guys have one of the most popular photography and camera apps. I'd be curious what you actually refer to it as. You had 1.0 and just recently you released 2.0. It was a big update. And now for iPad. And maybe if you could kind of give us an idea, maybe if our listeners had never heard of Halide, why would someone want this secondary camera app as opposed to just the built-in camera app? And what makes it unique? There is an incredibly good camera app built into your iPhone. Uh, it's really, really great. And me and Ben loved, like, increasingly the kind of photos that our iPhones were producing while we were lugging around these extremely heavy, big cameras with all these buttons and gears and dials on them. Um, and while it's great to have all those buttons and gears and dials, um, it doesn't necessarily translate, like, sometimes it can translate to a better photo, but definitely not to a better photo-taking experience. Um, and when Ben contacted me, Apple, uh, it was around WWC as well, Apple just announced that they were going to expose some of those dials to developers. Uh, and there were definitely already apps out there that had controls, like camera controls, basically. Um, but they were all really complex, much like those cameras. Like, if you looked at them and you just gave them to someone, they were really intimidating. And we felt like there wasn't really a middle ground between the Apple camera app, where if you tap on something, it immediately changes both the focus and the exposure. And like it's very, it's very, very basic and very user-friendly, obviously. And like just something that looks like, um, if anyone has seen the Chernobyl uh, HBO miniseries, there's this control room and it has 650,000 buttons that are just <laughs> unlabeled and little dials and everything. It kind of looks like that. And like, we didn't want that. <laughs> you know, people just learn away screaming because like it intimidated me to see all those buttons and I'm into photography. So like something that kind of approaches the middle ground of it. And that is kind of what Hellite is. It's something that can give you a bit more control over your camera because the cameras are getting really good in your iPhone, but it's not going to immediately overwhelm you. It might even help you learn a little bit about photography. So when the iPhone 12 came out, I believe one of the big features was Pro Raw, meaning that you can now use a raw type format directly on the iPhone and you have access to that. And Halide was one of the you know early apps to adopt that. And I think you guys actually had a long article about explaining what raw is, which is complicated in itself, but it's a great article. I'll include that link in the show notes. But when uh, that came out, ProRaw, then you also updated your app to 2.0. So what was the big change or what were the big feature updates? Maybe it was ProRaw, but that also came to 2.0 of Halide. So I think that uh, we launched Halide in 2017, and you put something out in the world when it's just built by two people. You're like, okay, this seems like this is right. Okay, cool. And then you get it into a lot of hands, and they quickly, quickly are like, okay, what? Wait. Oh, well, oh, okay, that's good. And so, you know... <laughs> It was, uh, I would say that 2.0 wasn't like we totally threw everything out, but it's like, okay, let's rethink how the interface works. Let's uh, rethink, like, from using the app, we tend to reach for one particular control more often. And also the hardware was getting better around, like, being able to do auto exposure. So it was just sort of like resetting certain assumptions. So we started thinking about that, like, a year and a half into Halide, and we shipped it three three and a half years later. Um, so it was really, uh, that was a long time coming. And uh, I think that then ProRaw also speaks to Apple's prioritization of the camera systems and how they're also rethinking what professional photography looks like on the iPhone. Like we launched with regular RAW, which is way more of an advanced concept 
despite the name, than ProRaw. Yeah. And so it was a chance for us to reset UI expectations, and then it made it also on a technical level, it was easier to integrate ProRaw. Like, you know, they launched it like a few weeks before Christmas, and so <laughs> we were able to get it up pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, it was just a number of different things. But um, to your point about the article, I think that what's also interesting from us is trying to approach these advanced photography concepts and make them a little more approachable to like our parents. Uh, I would say ProRaw might be not quite there yet, but like <laughs> looking forward where we're going to be in a few years and like we really want to invest more in like teaching people about photography and sort of like graduating beyond this very, you know, first party camera where it's just press a button, it does everything for you. Like how do we get people to learn more advanced or uh, concepts? So, yeah. Cool. So one of the other changes with Halide 2.0 was your guys' pricing structure. And I think now in 2021, people understand what they're paying for in a subscription. You know, a developer works on an app ongoing, you know, whether you buy it with one cost and then you have it forever or you have a subscription model. So people, I think, understand more, but it's still kind of a barrier for some people. They're averse to subscriptions. But you guys went to that pricing model with Halide 2.0. And I love to talk about the morning of launch and what kind of happened there with your upgrade pricing and all that in a moment. But tell me what the internal conversations were like when you were discussing, should we go to subscription? Should we stick with one-time purchase? How did that all go? We, we still do offer one-time purchase. Though. Yeah, you still so, do. Like, you yeah. still do, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was an interesting one. We were coming off a, a thing that a lot of developers run into. Uh, if you were to look at a chart of the lifetime of your app, most people, uh, when they launch the app, you get a big spike, and after that it goes down, and you kind of get turned into this ambient place where you never quite get that spike again. That spike obviously cannot sustain the development of your app forever. So we had been making Highlight for three years. We sold it once and people were getting free updates for years. Uh, and while that's a great deal for our users and we totally wanted people to have free updates forever, we, we at some point we can't keep working on it without doing a paid update. And we wanted to do a big update and we also wanted to charge for it. Uh, so then there was a the question of how were we going to do this? <laughs> which <laughs> was rather challenging. Um, there were a few different options and all of them seemed really um, difficult um, because we obviously are in the App Store. Uh, the App Store limits certain things. Like you cannot do a paid update, for instance. If people already have the app, you cannot make a second paid app for a lower price as an update for the existing users. Um, but there you are some things you can make an entirely different app and then you have to make yeah. them buy that one. Exactly, and then we would have two halides in the App Store, and then people would be like, I bought the other halide, and you're not updating it for some reason, because it would just be really confusing and really problematic. So we thought, okay, we're just going to make a new update, and it's going to be an update to the existing app, so everybody's going to get the update. But then we thought, how are, what's going to happen to people that already have the app, right? Um, and after a lot of deliberation, we thought, oh, like we definitely don't want people to happen, is it's a camera app, they go to the beach, on this beautiful sunset, they open the app, and it says... Congratulations, here's Highlight V2. Uh, you can't use it unless you pay. Right. <laughs> Not a great Not a good scenario. Experience. Yeah. Not a great experience. Uh, we never want people to have that experience. So we uh, looked at it a couple different options, like in-app purchases, whatever, but you would always run into that problem of continuity. Um, so in the end, we thought, okay, well, there's a clear trade-off here between our users and our bottom line, like money, basically. And we're like, well, I guess we're just going to give the whole update away for free to everybody. Uh, that already had, uses Halide, and then everybody who's new to Halide, they get the option to subscribe um, or to do a one-time purchase. And um, we launched that, and we were really happy with the 
the idea. And I think when we talked to a lot of people, they were like, that's beyond fair. It seems like a really great solution. And then, um, and then we launched. So there was a bug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will say, though, about deciding um, how you wanted to approach it or how you wanted to do right by your Mark 1 users is we had a lot of internal discussions about what we would want as users, uh, what seemed fair to us. We even thought about companies outside of the app store that did right by their customers, for instance, like having an easy return policy and um, what positive experience we've, we've had. And we sort of applied that to our pricing and our implementation. It's so interesting, too, because I don't know your all's ages, but when I was buying software as a teenager, there were big boxes. You would go to a store <laughs> and you would spend 60 to $80 on a box and you never got updates. You know, if there was a new version of Microsoft Office or whatever other app, you had to spend a whole another $80 when that came out. And so it's interesting how that has changed over time. But on the morning you guys were going to launch 2.0, one of the things you had implemented was if you had previously purchased Halide 1.0, that those users would be able to upgrade for a certain amount of time or for free. They would get the upgrade for free. And you had some press releases about to go out at 9 a.m. on launch day, and you discovered a bug, I think it was at 7-something in the morning, so less than two hours before it's going to launch publicly, that that upgrade feature was not working. And that whole swath of customers that had already purchased your app were going to be shown that they could upgrade for free and not be able to. And that's a serious bug. Talk to me about that moment of realization <laughs> and, and how that next hour and a half went. I should check my heart rate right now as you're describing <laughs> that morning. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Especially as the 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 one hire where my real res only responsibility was subscriptions, it was um, like I have one job. You had one job. Right. <laughs> Although one job. when two people touch the same yeah. code base and they read the same documentation right. and read it wrong, right. like get the docs wrong once for right. me <laughs> or whatever. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. You read. You need to read the small print, and ultimately it was. Um, a dev environment change that we didn't anticipate. Uh, and I was on the East Coast, so I was dressed, at least, and I had <laughs> eaten food, um, which made, um, you know, I wasn't dry heaving like Ben, but uh, we, I mean, Ben, it was nice to see Ben, um, you know, everyone stayed calm and we just cared about fixing the bug. And I think we had to really, we wanted to test it with people who had previously purchased Halide. And I think we learned all that morning of which one of our friends had never downloaded it. Because <laughs> uh, we really needed to like reach out to friends who hadn't upgraded. So, but they needed to be previous owners. And learning like my parents or like my brother didn't have Halide was pretty insulting. <laughs> um, but I could, but uh, yeah, Ben sort of took the reins and you know. Yeah. We, uh, I, I remember tweeting or I DMing people on Twitter. Hey, 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 hey! Uh, could you touch something for me real quick? <laughs> like, yeah. So the moral is yes. have a Twitter account. And uh, mm. slide into DMs a lot and ask for right. QA from friends. Right. So. The DM sliding has been paying off for Ben for a while. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's your, yeah, your top yeah. skill. What, what did save us, too, is that we had thought, I did implement a hidden debug menu that had a, our receipt information and display. So we had been using it internally, and Ben was smart and made it actually an endpoint so our friends could easily send it to us so we could actually see what was going on. That really helped narrow the problem, and that's why I think we were able to fix it so quickly is... We had made it accessible secretly to people. Yeah. So what ended up happening, uh, just to clarify people too, is like, oh, like if your release goes out, like it, it goes out before you're officially launching. Like how does that happen exactly? If you want to coordinate an app launch, one of the big things you want to do is you work with press like Apple Insider, for instance. We send 
people our, our app and some information ahead of time and then we're like, we're gonna release it at nine and before then we're not going to talk about it so that the press also gets an exclusive moment to, to, to scoop it sort of to like talk about it right. first. Um, and then we flip the switch or rather Ben flips the switch in the app store that it becomes available for sale. And we do that a few hours before that, what's called an embargo, like the, the silent period. So um, the app store has a chance to update. Sometimes it takes a really long time. We've had updates that actually took like half a day to show up and then there's all this press and people are like, where's the update? Um, so we started noticing on our Twitter account, which we could not public, like, you know, do a big announcement from before it was out, that people were replying to us like, hey, what the bleep, what yeah. is this? I paid for this app and I can't take photos. So it was, there was suddenly like oh, one, two, so 10, a hundred replies. Oh, and like, Lord. oh, I know. and we had a really big <laughs> inbox full of stuff. So we, we really like went through it quickly. And fortunately also we managed, right. I work with really talented people that managed to fix it, but. Uh, also, Apple worked with us to get a quick fix out, and I think yeah, it was yes. by nine right. by nine o'clock ish. Right. It was fixed, fortunately. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, kudos to you. That's awesome Ooh. teamwork from the three of you. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So one of the new devices that came out recently was the new M1 iPad Pro. I had Austin Mann on the podcast, and he kind of talked about his thoughts on it. But I'd be curious, you guys, as working in the photography world. Did you have any thoughts on the new iPad Pro, especially that Liquid Retina XDR screen? And maybe you could also touch on that superpower, as you call it, Sebastian. I think you discovered by accident while your iPad was close to your jeans or something. You found that yes. out as well. But talk to me about the iPad Pro. <laughs> um, yeah, the iPad Pro is really exciting. I mean, a lot of people see the giant hardware improvements that are happening at, and there's very little attention being spent to the camera because, who? I mean, really, who photographs with an iPad? That's a question Moms a lot of people and grandparents. ask. Hey, hey, hey. It's, a, it's grandparents for sure. <laughs> yes. No <exactly>. shame. No shame. <laughs> no shame. Yeah. Uh, and that's a question a lot of people asked us when we made the iPad version too. Um, but it is for a lot of people the best camera they have. And it's a really cool, um, this was a really cool evolution of that, especially because the camera systems on the front of the iPad saw a big change. Like the new ultra-right camera uh, was really fun to sort of dig into. Uh, I think I can speak for all of us that we really enjoyed the iPad, like just the period of working on it. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It was wonderful. Yeah, it's a cool device. Uh, and it was fun, fun to finally jump from the iPhone to work on something like a little bigger. But yeah, that superpower is really interesting. So for those that don't know, your iPhone, if you look at it, um, as camera lenses stick out a little bit and uh, the module is a certain thickness, um, it, it, it physically cannot fit into an eye. Like people hate the camera bump, right? Uh, they, they cannot make that any smaller to get that kind of quality from it. Um, and the iPad has kind of an older camera that has different considerations, like they, they, they fit it in a much thinner body. Um, and that camera has, is designed in such a way that it can focus a lot closer to things. So if you hold something up to your iPhone, you'll notice sometimes it's too close, it just, just gets blurry. Like your iPhone can't focus on it anymore if you, it's within a few inches. Um, the iPad doesn't quite have that problem. You can get really close to stuff with your iPad. So it has kind of like an inadvertent microscope mode. So you can, it's not quite a microscope, like you won't see blood cells, you know? It's like Ant-Man style. <laughs> yeah, right, and right. then macro photography style. So there's like a little macro superpower. And um, because we were, I was playing with Halide's, um, so it has manual focus control, you can set it to that minimum focus distance. Uh, kind of like found out about that. And I was like, oh, this is, this is a good reason to whip out the iPad. It's like, Pictures of small things with a very large device. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll put a link to the article, but some of the images you got, some of those macro images, if we have photographers listening, it's, a, you know, macro close-up images. They look incredible, you know, pretty surprising coming from an iPad camera. 
Yeah, totally. Uh, they also announced at WWDC they're going to have an API to check the minimum focus distance of a particular lens. So previously, you wouldn't know how close you can focus. So it makes you think that like maybe this was deliberate, or or maybe it's planning for things to come. So, yeah. Uh-huh. And now that you mentioned WWDC, we just had their keynote uh, as we're recording on June 7th, and they announced new changes to all the operating systems. And one of the features that's coming to iOS 15 is the ability to see EXIF data. And I'll let you guys, the professionals, explain maybe what that is. But in addition to that, were there any other features that you as developers or just as users uh, were excited to hear from the keynote? Uh, So EXIF is, uh, it's like the extra metadata that's attached to a photo of not just the time you took the photo, but uh, you can tag, you know, the latitude, longitude, or, or where it was taken, um, the configuration of your camera, like the shutter speed, uh, the aperture, all that, and then all sorts of other things, like what was the white balance setting. So it's all this useful data, especially if you're, if you're like in an editor, um, like Lightroom, you can actually say, okay, show me all the photos that were taken at this location with this particular lens setting. So it's really good for combing through your photo library. And it's kind of a nerdy photographer feature, really. Like, I bet your parents have never heard of this and don't care in the least bit. But it's very interesting to see it in the first-party camera. And we are seeing that there's a way that you can filter photos in the first-party photos app based on which app was used to capture it. And that's going to be huge for us. Because we do have, like, we add a smart, or not a smart album, but a raw album. So we kind of help out users because when they take a photo with Halide, it's very different than if you're in a bar taking a photo with like, hey, you know. <laughs> so, you know, you, you go home and you're like, okay, what were all these gorgeous photos? Wait, why are all these photos of me in a bar? No. <laughs> Um, so it's, uh, because we're there. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Sounds like WWE. Exactly. Uh, and so it's going to be really helpful to filter out photos there. And, uh, it's really cool to see them embracing more pro photographer workflows, uh, uh, in that, uh, in the uh, first party apps. And also just, I guess, iPads growing up a little bit. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything else uh, you folks are excited about. I think on the, like the notification side of things, I really enjoyed it. They're improving things there. And I think the live text thing is really cool. So for those that haven't seen it, now the iPhone can detect text in, in both, I think, live camera mode, but also in still photos that you can search through it or even copy and paste text from photos, which I think we'll have to see. We haven't looked through it yet, but maybe it's something we can even have in our app, which is cool. Now, so one of the other changes they announced later in the keynote was App Store changes and features for developers. One of the things that developers can do in iOS 15 is create different app icons and use different screenshots and surface those to users on criteria that you as the developer set. So if you want to target a specific demographic or age group or location, you can actually have a custom app icon when they see it in the app store as opposed to someone else, and you can customize the different screenshots. You guys only have had a day as we record to think about these things, but is that something that interests you or you might do? Because I I know you also got some heat about an app icon thing recently as well but talk to me about that feature for one demographic we could just be like not face two don't download <laughs> <laughs> like we can't make you look thinner yeah, yeah exactly maybe clarify things yeah a exactly yeah. we'd be really upfront about that <laughs> so who who is the who's the marketing uh, like person of the three of you in, in this company it's me. okay so yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm also responsible for the icon. Um, for us, worth like the icon, the icon thing was um, because, drama. <laughs> yeah, drama the storm in the teacup that happened was we. Uh, I designed a, a rainbow icon with glitter uh, for Pride, and uh, we made that our icon in the App Store. And it's one of the icons. If you use Halide, you can. We ha- we we offer a number of different icons you can use to customize the app with. 
So if you want to look at it a different way in your home screen, previously it was all very pro and very camera, so it was all silvers and blacks and, you know, <laughs> not, no color, really. Uh, so we added this Pride icon. It's our first Pride icon for Pride Month, which it is. Yay. And uh, you're right. Yeah, it's awesome. Pride. Have a Pride. <laughs> uh, and uh, we released it as an update, and I think our update notes that then wrote was, it's a Pride update. That's it. That's the update. We got some bug fixes and other small things. There was a bug yeah. fix in there as well, yes. Right. yes. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the usual minor enhancements as well, right. of course. Uh, and some some people just decided to troll and, and sent like one-star reviews. They're like, stay in your lane and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but fortunately, we feel pretty simple about our own stance on that. Yeah, I mean, don't, we don't, I don't care to, you don't have to be our customer. Yeah, like, <laughs> we don't support equal rights. Right. That's fine. Exactly. We, don't, I think... we don't support your money. <laughs> exactly. We don't want your money. Yeah, so right. that's fine. At the end of the day, I mean, that happens on Instagram sometimes too. I mean, I, I think we've been pretty outspoken about our beliefs and equality and basic stuff. And right. if someone has something to say about it, we, we, we happily say unsubscribe. Yeah, that's, unsubscribe. That's, that's fine with me, but yeah, we won't cater to that. So yeah. uh, as far as the features go, I don't think uh, right now, like I have to like kind of dig into it. Uh, it yeah. It's cool. Like I welcome more customization of our app store page and we spent a lot of effort into the pages as it is. Um, so it'll be fun to see what the possibilities are, but one of the things we don't do as it is, is like have analytics in the app or do A-B testing or anything like that because we feel like a camera shoot base could be the most private thing you have because you take photos of your whole life with it and like we don't look at your photos, we don't collect your data, we don't look at how you use the app. We do nothing with A-B testing. So that also frees up our time to actually build like features instead of looking at data every day and we're like, maybe we can optimize this 0.02%. So, yeah. yeah. The most notorious example of that is it's a very Google versus Apple approach, yeah, right? Yeah. Google is known very much for having a data-driven approach to product development. Like the most famous example is they weren't sure what color the link AdWords should be of blue. Oh, yeah. So they actually tested 40 or so shades of blue right. and decided whichever one gets the most clicks, that's the shade of color that we want. Oh, and yeah. that's one approach that we don't take. <laughs> we just pick a color and move on so yeah we're very much uh that we're very much in the apple uh, kind of camp of product development for sure now one of the things i think sebastian you were tweeting about this but an idea for reviews app reviews and i get this a little bit on the podcast side because people leave reviews and you really have no control right now to do anything with them i mean you can report a review but people just leave one star reviews and on apps yeah. podcasts whatever and you had the suggestion of maybe only allow paying customers to actually leave a review. I thought that was a great idea, yeah. but maybe you could explain that a little bit. Yeah, so it kind of stems from when we were a paid app, which is funny when we launched, people were like, well, there's still paid apps out there. Um, if there's a paid app, you cannot leave a review unless you buy it. Um, and for free apps, of course, that's a, that, that's a little different. But I feel like one of the things we ran into, and this is kind of a continuing struggle with us, is we are free to download but we're not a free app. We don't have a, like we have a trial period, but it requires you to start a subscription. Basically, like you can cancel before the trial period is over, but that's just the way Apple implements trials. That's yeah, yeah. that's just how it works. Um, so some people download the app, even though we put in all caps on our app store description, like, "Hey, it's a paid app. You have to pay to use Halide." Um, they just download it and they delete it, and they leave a one-star review saying like, "Oh, it's it's a it's a scam. They ask you for money before unlocking the camera," and it's like, "No, that's the point. Like, that's, it works as designed." <laughs> And I wish we could make that really clear. I honestly wish that Apple had a way to take a box and it doesn't say, you know, it just has a big price underneath that says, like, require subscription or something like that. Um, and if you have an app like that, um, and the app review could very easily look at this and say, like, go through your app and see that it requires you to unlock it before using it, 
uh, it would be fairly great to have a feature like that that limits reviews to people that have either gotten a subscription or a one-time purchase. Uh, and it could even help with like scam apps that usually also do this and they throw up a paywall before you even use it. So I don't know, just sure. an idea. Yeah, for sure. And so also in regards to the App Store, obviously there was the big Epic Games vs. Apple case and all that, but I've had other developers on the show. I had Paul Kafasas from Audio Hijack, and different developers have different ideas about should the App Store or should the iPhone specifically and iPad be open? Should the operating system be as such where you can install apps outside the App Store? Maybe it's for financial reasons so the developer doesn't have to pay the cut to Apple for every purchase, or because you want to do features that aren't allowed because you being in the app store requires, you know, you have to follow all the API rules and things like that. She's she said, government. God forbid we have to follow the API rules. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, maybe you've already answered it with that, but is that something... <laughs> Sorry. No, no, it's good. Is that something that you would either want the ability to sell your app and allow iPhone users to install it outside of the app store? Or do you feel like the app store and the cut that Apple takes and everything is it all good and fair and good as is. What do you guys think? Is this one of those, like, the tweets that I say uh, are, do not represent my employer? Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I would say I I like rules, some of them. I like security. I like reasons. I think for all, there are, there are a lot of reasons that Apple has implemented some of the things that they have. And I feel like they, following APIs, for instance, and not utilizing like private APIs, protect me as a user and protect our app. So from liability, I don't want that, I don't want to create a vulnerability where someone can take a phone and uh, retrieve information that, you know, I have, you know, coerced or utilized my customer's information to do something uh, incorrectly. I, I don't want that responsibility. I think um, a customer's information is belongs to them. So I wouldn't want to accidentally do that by thinking I'm more creative or getting around an API. Um, yeah, I guess uh, the financial stuff, I, I'm i not educated enough on the topic, I would say. Uh, I know that's the go-to response, so I'll let these guys weigh in on that. <laughs> sure. So I'd say that uh, as far as like there's the alternate app stores thing and the sideloading thing, like I'm just thinking about how when I was telling someone like a few years ago, my dad, who has a Mac, got malware. He clicked the first search results in Google for Java SE 6 update, and it turned out it was malware that would change it. It only changes default search engine, but I had to go in there and unmuck it. And so the Mac is like supposed to be this bastion of like a safe OS, and iOS is better, but I think if you allow sideloading, you're going to get some shenanigans like that, right? So uh, if you want to be tech support for my parents, then that's great. Um, <laughs> as far as a business owner, I think that for us, there's this in the App Store there's a level of trust from the users that make them impulsively download stuff, whether or not they read that it costs money. They're just like, yeah, I'll download what's worse going to happen. And so that kind of like frictionless experience that comes from what Apple provides, they provide a very clean storefront. Um, and I mean, that is in like the, the, the floors are swept, uh, has really nice lighting. You go in there and you're like, yeah, I want to download an app. And so that's, you know, we're paying uh, a cut to Apple for that. And in my opinion, I think that, they earn their keep. Um, it's also nice that because a portion of our users are subscription-based, we're going to be paying 15% after a year. So that's awesome. I mean, I would never turn down more money. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you want to give me 100%, that's cool. Right. I'm not going to. Sure. But as sure. far as, like, what's fair, like, I i don't have a big problem with what uh, they're offering. And the curation is amazing um, on the editorial side. 
Yeah. yeah, I think um, as like a small developer, and obviously we're privileged in this because Apple has has picked like one of our apps, Spectre, as like the app of the year in 2019, and they they that's their editorial stories like feature our apps. Um, we like again, like my personal opinion is, I feel like we we get what we pay for. Um, we do get a lot out of that cut. Um, I worked when I moved to San Francisco about a decade ago. I worked at this startup called Double Twist. I made Android apps. And I sh exclusively shipped apps on the Play Store. And uh, that is still the same in terms of design. Like it has basically not changed in 10 years. And Apple has worldwide editorial teams. They feature indie apps and like, our app is not like, didn't have subscriptions. They didn't have some sort of like, we knew it wasn't gonna make Apple like a ton of money. And yet they picked it as like the app of the year. It seems like there is some editorial integrity there. They, there are a lot of people at Apple that do care about this stuff. In the end, is it a trillion dollar company that cares about its bottom line? Yes, obviously, like that determines the politics and that's what you see in these like lawsuits. Um, but as a small developer, I feel like we get a pretty, like a pretty fair deal. Um, and like Ben said, like we'll never turn out more of a cut and like more money. Uh, but for me, like I really like the security and convenience the App Store offers and um, we have quite few complaints. It's gotten a lot better over the years too. So, right, yeah. right. And I think um, it's interesting that you said that like you feel like you get uh, your money's worth. I think that maybe for some small indie developers that haven't experienced some of the success and the exposure um, to their apps from the App Store or the recognition, I think that perhaps like if this cut were to stay the same, that maybe Apple needs to be better about finding, you know, some um, developers who are building apps that maybe aren't as pedigreed as these gentlemen here. Um, so I think, you know, uh, Sebastian obviously has like a high profile and highly respected as has been. And I think it sort of didn't make it easy for them, but it made it easier for Apple to find them. And maybe Apple needs, you know, you with that in mind, um, that, you know, doing a better job of finding some of um, developers that don't have as big of a reputation. Well, let's look to the future. Either, as you're comfortable saying, you know, I don't want you to give away any secrets that you guys are working on, but as far as from the software side or maybe hardware that you'd like to see Apple release in the future, maybe it's AR, VR headsets, something you would make for that. What are you guys excited for about the future, either with Apple's hardware and software or your own apps? I hope they release another iPhone. <laughs> so twelve is not enough. Pretty I mean, much guaranteed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, all right. Um, yeah. As far as like future plans, we're always like famously mum about like what we're working on. But I think I remember it was so funny. My mom was visiting when we launched Halide. Like me and Ben were basically launching out of my kitchen in San Francisco for pretty much four years ago, and she said aren't there a lot of camera apps already? <laughs> and I thought at that point it was just getting started. Like the cameras were just about getting good enough. Um, I think at this point we're, we're getting to a point where cameras are starting to enter really exciting territory. And it's not just that they can take pictures, but it's sensing and being sensors of the world and enabling all the applications that that enables with all the computational magic is really, really cool. Like when we got to build Spectre, we got to do things that normally would take setting up like a tripod knowing tons of things about photography and like calculating your exposure and like doing all this stuff. And thanks to like the magic of like how powerful these little devices are now and all the computational magic, we can make something like that accessible to anyone. And that's kind of the future we're looking at, like making a lot of photographic things kind of magic and work through the advanced technology that's in these things. It's really exciting. And I don't know exactly what Apple has in store for it, but it's going to be really cool to kind of roll with the punches and play with whatever's coming out. So. 
I'll, I'll add one other uh, thing is uh, also a nice thing about us now moving to subscriptions is that we can now support certain things like anything. We have such a wider field to play with with our ideas. Yeah. Stuff that has ongoing costs that can require the cloud or whatever. Uh, so it's going to be really fun thinking like, you know, we could pull that off. Let me run the numbers. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah. So I'll say um, it's going to be fun doing stuff a little more than just camera, that direct press a button, take capture kind of stuff. And that's that's a hint right there. Yeah, there you yes, go. Yes, exactly. Mm, that's, the, that's the scoop. That's the scoop. That's the scoop. Yeah, that's the scoop. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, for my last question, I'm just curious. What is your daily driver, each of you? I mean, you guys are all into photography. You make these camera apps. Are you all 12 Pro Max people? Have one of you got the mini? What's your daily driver? I have the 12 Pro. 12 Pro. 12. I have a yeah, reputation of losing phones, so I thought, you know, <laughs> I'll go cheap. <laughs> yeah, 12 Pro. I have a 12 Pro Max. Uh, I did the 12 Mini for a little bit. I really miss the telephoto lens. Like, I, I thought, like, oh, I won't be able to, be, to live without Pro Raw. I can live without Pro Raw. I kind of like the old Raw a lot because it's, it's hard to work with, but it's also really aesthetic. It has a grain, and I don't know, I like it. But the telephoto lens, I really miss it. So I hope it's not happening, but I hope the next iPhone has, like, is tiny and has a telephoto lens. But, <laughs> they just yeah. gotta rev physics. Just yeah, just yeah, like just, physics. They just need like... to fix physics, or yeah. just, you know, cover the entire back of it with lenses, that, then I'm, like, super happy. <laughs> so it's kind of like a suction cup, like an octopus tentacle. That yeah. Just have little, like, just stick it to your hand. Exactly. Kind of like a yeah, range, yeah. a stove, you know what I mean? Just have all yeah, the Yeah, exactly. That Photoshop is, like, evergreen, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> with the little pots and pans on. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that's our daily drivers right now. And then apart from that, when I take, like, sometimes I use, like, a Leica film camera if I, I'm, like, really, like, done with iPhone photography for a little bit. Uh, it's nice to get back to the basics. Very cool. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us on the Apple Insider Podcast. Obviously, we'll point people to Halide and Spectre, your apps in the App Store. Anywhere else that you would point people to to learn more about Lux? Lux.camera. It's actually a domain name, dot camera, really, lux.camera. <laughs> yeah, we write articles on there uh, about photography, and whenever new stuff comes out, like when the new iPod came out, we dug into the cameras and found what little surprises and superpowers. So anytime something like happens in iPhone or iPad and land, we do a little write-up. And if you're new to photography and you want to sign up for Halide, there is a course that you can take online uh, that you just go to the membership screen, uh, setting screen and you can subscribe and learn some cool stuff. Very cool. We'll put all those links in show notes. Listeners, you can check them out there and learn more about Lux.camera. You should try that out. And all the apps will be there as well. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.